Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Adoption Hacks. I'm your host, Candace Laycock. Today on the show, we have Callie Troyer. Callie and her husband adopted a sweet little boy from South Korea a few years ago, and that's when her and I connected because our journeys were really close to each other. So I was able to follow Callie and gain a lot of her insights. She's always been a super conscientious adoptive parent and staying very educated and up on current events and I really appreciate that in her and she's she's shown me a lot she's taught me a lot so it's great to have her and her wisdom on the show today we're gonna walk through her journey and talk about navigating the unknowns and navigating some delays when you bring your child home and how to find doctors and medical people and friends and a support group and professionals who can come alongside you so please enjoy this episode feel like we've been friends forever, but it's so exciting to, to finally get you on the show. Callie, thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Um, like you said, I feel like we know each other really well, but it's good to finally see your face. and get to yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell us a little bit about you and your family. Sure. Yeah. So my husband, Brian, and I uh, live just outside of Louisville, Kentucky. We have one little boy named Gideon. Uh, He is about four and a half, and he was adopted from South Korea about two years ago. Um, My husband is a marriage and family therapist, and he specializes in TBRI, um, so works a lot with adoptive and foster families. And then my background is as a pediatric psych nurse, um, but I currently work for a vaccine company doing training for our new clients. So not as much using that background um, in child development and child psych, but uh, we at least both had had some experience in that field before, before we adopted. So That's cool. I, I can you imagine like two better parents to have <laughs> a counselor and a, and a nurse. That's awesome. I didn't realize he did TBRI either. That's really cool. He did. Now he, we went to the Empowered to Connect conference when we first started, and that was both of our first introductions to TBRI. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, just having been a psych nurse, I remember just walking out of the doors and being like, why did no one ever tell us this? Like this would be life changing for not just families, but also professionals working with families. Um, and this was after I had had, you know, three years on the psych unit working with kids and specific education (laughs) towards that. And so from there, he applied, um, he finished up his studies as a marriage and family therapist and then applied to show hopes grant uh, for professionals to go to the formal TBRI training um, and was accepted into that. So he's had that training, I think about two years, two and a half years now. Um, And he loves it. He uses it with just about all of his clients, but obviously, especially with adoption and foster care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I always think. Last week we had on um, a trauma counselor and I was at the entire time. I just think everybody needs to know this. This is not just for adoption and foster families. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's so cool. Well, I'll have to ask him to be on the show next. <laughs> <laughs> he would love that. <laughs> uh, okay, so how, what brought you to adoption? So adoption was something that Brian and I actually talked about on our first date. Um, I'm not sure where along the lines we both knew we wanted to adopt. Uh, we both have a grandparent who was adopted, and that was always something that was talked about really openly in our homes. And so I think it was something that was always – had been kind of normalized for us and something we were excited about. Um, But when we met for our first date, um, we had been friends for a while. And so that was one of the questions that we talked about before we moved forward with dating or being more than just friends. (laughs) And so um, it was from the very start of our relationship, we talked about it. Uh, And then shortly after we got married, there was a little boy on Love Without Boundaries website, uh, which is a nonprofit in China. Um, And they had this little boy whose advocacy name was Gideon. And we saw him and just really fell in love with this little boy, which made no sense because we had no plans to adopt him, meet him, anything. Uh, But we started sponsoring him and we were getting updates every few weeks. And again, just fell in love with this little boy. And about a year and a half after we started that sponsorship, um, this little boy died really suddenly out of the blue of a respiratory infection. Um, And it just broke our hearts, which again, just did not make any sense because we had no plans to meet him or anything. Um, But 
that was the moment I think that we both looked at each other and we decided that we wanted to pursue adoption um, as the way to grow our family. Uh, so adoption had always been on the table, but that was when it became really clear that that was the path we wanted to choose. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of fell into South Korea a little bit by accident. <laughs> so we found All Blessings International, who was our home study agency at a conference um, and had started pursuing their program in Taiwan. Uh, and just as we were starting, that program closed. Um, so we called around to other places, but we just loved the the heart that ABI had for the kids that they served and really felt like they put their needs first. Um, and so we called them and said, hey, what would you recommend? And they said South Korea. <laughs> so we kind of ended up here a little bit by accident, but it's been fun just to look back on our story and see how God led us to our little boy. Yeah. What was your adoption journey like? It was full of surprises. <laughs> so, um, I will say like we had awesome social workers um, who walked alongside of us, who prepared us, I think as best as they could for all of the unknowns in the adoption world. Um, but we, Gideon was an unassigned referral. So we actually were presented with his picture the day our home study was due and asked if we would uh, like to look at his full file. Um, and we took one look and said, yes, please send us his file. Uh, and he was a little bit outside of um, the age that, a little bit older than the age that we had initially put in our home study, uh, which is why they wanted to catch us before our home study went to Korea. And, um, but we asked for his file and pretty immediately just said yes, like just felt deep down that we were going to move forward with him. I still had his file evaluated by an international adoption specialist, all of that, but just really felt a resounding yes. Um, so about three months after we said yes, we were waiting for um, his immigration permit, which would start the process on the Korea side to bring him home. Um, and we got an email out of the blue from our placement agency saying, hey, there are some concerns. We're going to overnight you some information. We need you to call us as soon as you get it. Um, and in hindsight, looking back, if your agency ever offers to overnight two stuff, it's probably not good news. <laughs> um, but we, we opened that document the next day and uh, be, had become very, very clear that he had some pretty significant developmental delays. Um, and we had, a, we had that evaluated again, but still just as we prayed about it and talked about it, just felt deep down this resounding yes. And so we moved forward. And then about a month after that, we got another report that he was no longer making eye contact, responding to his name, um, initiating interactions with other people. Uh, and that's when they started throwing out some pretty big diagnoses, started running more medical tests. Um, but really, after 40 pages of medical results, they were still just kind of question mark after question mark. Um, the only thing that we kind of knew is that he was pretty significantly delayed. Um, and it was, that was a really difficult period of time because I think we had put our yes on the table, but I don't know that we fully, ex well, I certainly know we didn't expect that, but um, I don't know that we fully understood what that meant at the time. Um, but again, we just kind of had this deep gut feeling that he was our son. And so we kept moving forward. We started meeting with specialists even before he came home to have his file evaluated. Um, and we moved forward with the whole thing. And we got to meet him about 14 months after we started the process and got to bring him home a couple weeks later. And so he's been our little joy ever since. <laughs> yeah, that's really amazing. Thank you for going through all that. Um, when, was there ever a thought in your mind that like, maybe there, maybe this wasn't true. Maybe he wasn't delayed like this because, you know, every country's different with Korea. They told us they count a lot of things as delays that here in America, we want it. Um, like Saja was on the special needs list because he was delayed and, you know, he was, but not like nothing significant or nothing that I don't think we would in America count as delayed. So was there, was there part of you that was like wondering what was really true? Where were you with that? For sure. You know, it was a weird place to be um, because on one hand, of course, we wanted him. We knew he was in a foster home with just him until he was about a year old. And then he had a foster sibling come in the home. And that was about the time that he started showing delays. Okay. So in the back of my mind, I was almost 
you know, it's kind of a balance because on one hand you want your kid to be super well loved, of course, right, in their foster home. And on the other side, there was part of you that was like, oh, well, he's probably just not getting exposure or almost hoping that they hadn't tried new foods and that's why they were saying he was refusing new foods um, or something else going on there. Um, and then we had been told several times that Korea tends to, in many cases, over-diagnose children um, because they want a reason for every delay. And so they had told us when, when his delays came out um, that they would most likely go through a lot of medical testing because they would want to make sure that it didn't reflect on the foster family why he was delayed and that they would find a diagnosis for him before he came home. So I think even as diagnoses came out, um, there was still this, this thought in the back of our mind of like, oh, this is, they have to do this. There's a formality. It's a culture thing. It's a foster home thing. Uh, and almost like halfway hoping it was um, and not really knowing, but knowing on the other hand, of course, that we wanted we wanted him to be in a super loving foster home. And he was. Um, and I think that was when we traveled to Korea and we met him and we met the foster family. I think that's when it became really clear. Like this was not anything about his environment. This was not um, related to institutionalization. It wasn't related to him not getting attention or not getting stimulation. Um, they loved him so well. And I think that's when we really started kind of coming to grips with or wrestling with like what the what the future might look like yeah yeah I've never I think you were explaining that. I've never heard that explained like that that they've like want a diagnosis and so they'll they'll push for that that's really interesting um so what was that adjustment home like oh um <laughs> <Big one. laughs> a lot of work Learning. Uh, it was learning each other. It was learning how to be parents. And this was our first child and he was two and a half. So he came with opinions and he came with um, a history and he came with a routine um, that we didn't know anything about. Mm -hmm. And so we were kind of thrown into it. Um, a lot of families will talk about a honeymoon period. We did not have a honeymoon period mm -hmm. unless you count the 30 minute taxi ride back to our hotel. And that I guess was our honeymoon period. That's so funny. Same with us. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. You know, and looking back in hindsight, it's easy to say, Oh, we're, well, we're thankful, not of course of the trauma that led to the grieving, but thankful that he was so well loved mm -hmm. that he did grieve. Um, but I don't think I was fully prepared for how his grieving would affect my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and to be fair, I think our agency did a fabulous job um, of preparing us for that initial transition. I remember sitting in the hotel room and um, our home study social worker, I just remember a lot of the things she had told us like coming to mind and just the reminders she had given us about how to maintain as much normalcy as possible, how to love him as much as possible. Um, but it's still like in this, I don't want to compare my losses with his because his will always be bigger than mine. But just, I don't think I expected how much his grieving would affect my heart and how after 14 months of wanting this child and longing for this child and waiting for this child, what it would feel like when he didn't want me as his mom. Um, and so there was a lot of grief those first weeks. And then even coming home, of course you have jet lag and unpacking suitcases and all the other practical things that are happening in the background of that. Um, but we also started to see a lot of regression, um, which is normal in trauma. But when you have a child who you know has developmental delays, who possibly has other diagnoses as well, it just became very difficult to kind of start to see where his baseline was. Yeah. Um, and uh, he really which is not typical from what we've heard from other Korean adoptive families, but he went almost completely silent for the first year. So he would laugh and he would cry, um, but he really had stopped babbling. He didn't really attempt to make words or to do sign language, even though we were working with him. Um, and so it was very much a balance of resetting our expectations, loving him where he was, and then also trying to figure out, like, do we need to go ahead and start therapy? Is this mm -hmm. like an actual delay or is this, you know, related to just all of these transi transitions that have just happened? Yeah. And so we're really thankful that we had had some, um, not just adoptive families, but 
medical professionals who uh, just kind of continually reminded us, like, in these first few months, your job is to love him, to snuggle with him if he'll let you as much as possible keep things fun. Um, we're not here to take away the bottle, brush his teeth. If he doesn't want to brush his teeth, like, your job is to work on bonding and attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had to keep reminding myself of that through those um, first months together. Yeah, you ha- that's why like the importance of having specialists and doctors who get it is so important. I one of the yeah. first doctors we went to here, which I, we people had told us like make sure you go to a, a doctor who's worked with adopted children before, and I I listened, but I thought like oh it's a, you know it's okay I'll just take what I can take and leave what I you know don't need or whatever I'll put it through a filter, but. So I did, I went to somebody who wasn't like super great at talking with adoptive families and she immediately was like, get rid of this. You have to get rid of this bottle. Why have you not gotten rid of this bottle yet? And I was like, there is no chance. There is no chance I'm going to take the only comfort this little child has away from him right now. What, what, how would that make me look to him? So yeah, that's so important. <laughs> we did the exact same thing, right? So we heard that even, and this is even coming from, you know, people, like we had background in child development. We um, had started to meet with specialists even before he came home. And I still, when people said, oh, you need to find professionals who are familiar with adoption, who are familiar with trauma, like I heard it, mm-hmm. but it was one of those things of like, I mean, it can't be that different, right? And it was so different (laughs) when we found those people who saw our son's behaviors and his needs not just through the lens of like how can we fix this but through trauma through what he had lost and looked at all of those things together i think that was the first time that we started after that initial transition feeling seen and feeling like our son was seen for who he was as a person and not just the behaviors or the needs that were in front of him Um, and so now i am I am one of those parents who's like, you need to find adoption. <laughs> no, serious. It is so important. <laughs> yeah, I had an, a, after, after a while, after a few times of like people telling us just normal kid stuff, I had an adoptive mom reach out and she said, like the only thing that her daughter liked, the literally only food, only thing she wanted was goldfish. And she was like, now I know that I shouldn't just feed this child goldfish, like, one whole month in a row but that's the only connection that we have like that's the comfort that I can give her and so I'm gonna do that I can break that bad habit later that's yeah. fine but yeah. now she's gonna live off goldfish <laughs> and this is maybe a little bit off topic but um one of the best things like I tell the story sometimes like one of the best things I professional did for us is uh kind of giggle at our stories because which sounds funny but we went to meet with Gideon's developmental specialist up in Cincinnati uh, she's one of the best in the country and she also happens to be um an adoptive mom of a little girl from China so she was very familiar with international adoption uh she was very familiar actually with specific diagnoses criteria in Korea so she gave us a lot more background on the diagnoses he had come home with mm-hmm. um, and then she was just very good at seeing trauma and medical needs and I remember going to her the first visit and um our son had come home on formula and um Takjuk, like the rice porridge. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Um, and, oh, and yogurt. Those were the only things he would eat. Mm-hmm. And so we went um, to the specialist and this was like, you know, six months home. And some of our therapists were like, oh, we need to start pushing new foods. We need to do this. We need to do that. And I remember telling our specialist, like, I'm feeling so much pressure. Our son only eats three foods. Like we've added, I think we had added like applesauce or something to his list. And that was the only new food in six months that this kid had touched. And I remember her kind of giggling at us and she's like, I don't need to be insensitive. Just you know, we actually work with kids who literally the only food that they will eat are the marshmallows out of Lucky Charms. That is the only sustenance that these kids get. And so she's like, if he's getting rice porridge with chicken and vegetables in it, and he's eating yogurt, like, please don't worry about it. Like, I want to just free you from the stress of worrying about that. Like those things will come in time, but as long as he's growing and as long as he's bonding, you know, that's okay. Like, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And that was, like, one of the best things that someone did was kind of giggle at our, like, yeah. being okay and trying to, to fix all the things in those first couple months. Yeah, seriously. How long did you wait? Like, how long did you cocoon and just bond before you started 
diving into some doctors and specialists? Okay, so um, so for doctors and specialists, we did feel like we wanted to start that process pretty early. Um, we had started cocooning as far as family and friends. Um, now we were first time parents, like I said. And so we came home and my husband had to go back to work the first full day that we were home from Korea because um, he had no vacation time. And I was terrified of all things like being home alone with a child that I didn't know and I'd never been a parent before. And so we did have a couple family members that came um, and just helped us out for a couple hours the first few days um, just to you know, we didn't let them kiss all over him or hug all over him or, you know, we did the feeding, but we did have someone in our home. But otherwise, we had really tried to keep his world small, as much routine as he would allow us to have um, or wanted to have, we would do that. Um, but doctors and specialists, we did start seeing those pretty early on so that we could get as much of a baseline as possible um, because we knew that some of it was likely regression related to trauma. We knew some of it was actual developmental delays. And then because they had you know, a list of other potential diagnoses on the table, we wanted to get that baseline. Um, so we went to our pediatrician um, the first week home and our international adoption specialist the second week home. Okay. Um, and we started therapy probably about four or five weeks home. In hindsight, I don't think he was ready for that. I don't think we had built up enough trust um, for him to want to to interact with the therapist, to be in a place where he could interact with the therapist. Um, but I don't regret doing that because again, I think those evaluations really helped kind of put into perspective some of the growth that we did see that first year, even when he still wasn't meeting typical milestones to be able to see that growth. I'm glad we did it. I just don't know that it was super helpful for like the actual OT and speech um, that early on uh, in our case specifically. Now I know other families who have done wonderfully with that. Our son just was not in that place. Um, and then we finally got in with the developmental specialist uh, about six months home. And that was game changing for us to be able to meet with someone that that was their entire job was to look at development. And again, she looked at it through the lens of trauma and, um, and his developmental delays as well. Yeah, that's incredible. Can you talk to us a little bit about, um, just sort of the the fear of the unknown and navigating that um like while you're waiting while you're in the waiting to to bring him home but also once you bring him home and you know was that a mental battle for you to just not be really sure what's going on with this child yes absolutely I think as we've shared our story in the past with families considering adoption or even just other families that were in process with us uh, the question that I feel like I heard all the time is like, but aren't you afraid of this? Like, I mean, aren't you scared of what this could mean? Um, and so often I just think back to that time and like, we were terrified. I would literally wake up in the middle of the night, just drenched in sweat, having nightmares of like, we're not going to be equipped for this. Like, we don't know what we're doing. Um, and there were so many fears, but I think we learned that peace really wasn't the absence of fear. It was just this deep gut feeling that we were where we were supposed to be. Um, and that this little boy was our son, no matter what. Um, so all the fears were still there. All the practical concerns were still there. Um, I mean, we did we did not only refer to some specialists during that time with his chart, but we had a couple of friends of ours who are very, very, um, they're experts in their field. So one of them is a neuropsychologist um, and one of them is a PT. And so they were they were really invaluable for us to not just look at his file from an objective standpoint, but to also walk with us and say, okay, this could mean this, and this could mean this, but looking at you guys, I think you can do this. And I really believe that you have the ability and the desire to be the advocate that this child needs. Mm -hmm. um, and that was good for us. Cause again, the fears can often derail your thoughts. Yeah. Um, and so I really think we, thanks to our community um, and a lot of people who pray us through that, I think we came to this place where we just, we realized that we needed to trust that God's plan was bigger than ours. And that sounds so cliche and so easy on the surface, but 
we came to this point where we, again, had put our yes on the table. Um, didn't really know what that meant when we first started, um, but we really believed that there was a reason and that there was, um, you know, that God was leading us forward on this path. There was just this deep gut feeling. Um, and we, we had to get to the place where we actually believed that, um, that we believed that our life could look different, but different didn't necessarily mean worse. Um, it may look harder, but again, that doesn't mean it looks worse. Um, and now to see, just to kind of, now that we've embraced, um, one of my good friends calls it the joy of the both. And I think it's relevant just for adoption and uh, having a child with different needs, like without the things that aren't in our life, we often would miss the things that are. And a lot of families, you know, lament these milestones that they've missed with their child. Well, because our child was developmentally delayed, we ha didn't miss a lot of his first. Like we were there for his first word. We were there when he tried ice cream for the first time. Like we were there for each of those things. And so it's really given us this chance to, to celebrate and to see things in life that I think we otherwise just would have completely missed. And so I know that's skipping ahead in our story a little bit, but it was really this, that change um, of just embracing like where we were. And that's no, that's no props to us. That's not to our credit. And um, that was just something that I just think God really worked in our hearts. And we had this amazing community around us that was just, you know, that helped us see practically, we have access to three of some of the top children's hospitals in our country within an hour from our house. Um, we have backgrounds in my child development, both of us. There were things about us practically, but then also people who knew our hearts that were like, no, I really believe this is our, this is your son. And to see him for the like amazing, wonderfully created little boy that he is, and to remind us of that through the fears and through all of the unknowns, not just in the process, but since then as well. How you put it? I love that joy of the both. Yeah, that was one of my, um, it was actually a mom I met through social media. And so I know sometimes social media gets a bad rap, but um, the adoption community, I think is just proof of just mm -hmm. how great social media can be, especially when you need it. And I don't know how we met. I don't know which one of us found each other, um, but she had gone through a very similar process with South Korea uh, with their, their little boy being diagnosed um, part of the way through the process and then deciding to move forward. Um, and they, she has just been one of those people. Um, I think, you know, having been on this journey, there are times when as much as we have embraced that and as much as we love the joy that our little boy brings because he just he has the most contagious joy like that is just he is joy um but there are still times that we sorry this may be like kind of a side story um, <laughs> the air, but, um like a couple a couple months ago last summer I guess um we went to a wedding for a family member and um on my husband's side of the family, our son is the oldest great-grandchild, um, but there were like four more that very quickly followed, and so all of the kids were together for the first time, um, and our son was about two years older than the next youngest little boy, but there were things that the kids were doing, the other great-grandchildren were doing that our son was not doing, and so they were, you know, interacting with the aunts and uncles, they were eating table food, um, all of these things, and I look over, and our precious little boy is sitting halfway under a floor-length tablecloth, waving his arms wildly, like he does when he's excited, um, just having the time of his life, mm -hmm. um, but I looked around, and I'm sure it was not as many people as my heart, like, thought it was in that moment, but people started to look at him and to notice that he was different from the other kids. And, you know, I honestly think most of it, he is, you know, I believe he's an objectively cute kid. So I think that it was really, truly, they enjoyed watching how much fun he was having, but it just like this tidal wave of grief of like, I can't control how the world will see my child. I can't make them accept his worth down the road if he continues to show signs of being different than other kids. I just remember like running into the bathroom and I texted my friend Lindsay and I was like, I started sobbing. I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I just, I don't know why I'm grieving. Like, I love this life with our son, but I just, I can't control how other people see him and I can't control like what our future is going to look like. And I just, you know, she's one of those people that will just sit with me in those feelings, but then also just remind us of how God has a big story for our sons, even though they look different than what the world 
you know, sees as worthy or sees as preferred, like they, they are so worthy and they have a big story um, that God has written for them. And so, you know, those people have been invaluable through our journey too. Yeah, that was really good. Thanks for sharing that story. You've mentioned so many friends and, and doctors and specialists that have been so supportive and really been with you on this journey. Um, how did, how did that happen? How did you seek them out? Um, I hesitate to say that a lot of them we found kind of by accident, but truthfully, we found most of them by accident. And I say accident, I am sure that that was the power of prayer finding these people because it has been, so again, like I said, we did look practically at our life. And I do think that that's important when families are considering adoption because you never know if you're child may have needs. When we first started pursuing Gideon, like I said, that was not on our radar. Um, so I do think it was important for us to look around and see what resources do we have. And so we knew we had three children's hospitals around us. We knew we had um, a bunch of therapists in our area, specialists in our area. Um, so we did do our homework in that regard. Um, but like our pediatrician was someone we found kind of by accident. Um, we needed a pediatrician or not a pediatrician. We needed a physician to do our um, physicals for our adoption. My doctor had just retired. We had just moved back to the area. Um, and so we needed a doctor. And so we happened to cross this doctor because someone else that lived locally that was adopting from Korea recommended him. Um, and he ended up being very adoption sensitive. And the developmental specialists we were kind of randomly paired with for our referral happened to be an adoptive mom. Um, Gideon had a minor surgery not long after he came home and the surgeon was an adoptive dad of two little boys. Just um, kind of story after story, even at church, the class that he was put in, um, which we were very involved in the children's ministry at the time. So they knew Gideon and knew where he was coming from, but he was placed in a class where the um, head teacher was an adoptive dad internationally, um, and the assistant teacher was an adoptee. Like just kind of story after story of just this tribe of people that we've built up and um, just seeing, I really do think, you know, Gideon is just, we joke that he's a magnet for people. Like he just really has this contagious joy. And so some of the people we have found by accident, some of the people we've picked up along the way, um, even at his school, which we adore, um, some of the other teachers will just come in his class to see him or just send us messages. Like it's just, we have the most amazing tribe of people. And so I think it was a mix of doing our homework and then just God putting the right people in our path that we very much needed. And um, we also have a very big adoption ministry at our church, which has been invaluable for us to have a group of people who just get it and who at any time we can contact and say, hey, we need something. Hey, we're feeling this. Hey, our son is going through this. And to have them, you know, just surround us with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. Well, I can second that Gideon is just absolutely adorable <laughs> thanks i mean obviously we're a little biased but his smile is just it just takes up his whole face it just oh, like it just takes over everything you can't look at this kid and not smile <laughs> it was actually the first um statement so we had we saw his picture when they sent us over the email saying hey would you like to see Gideon's file um and one of the lines out of his file and the point in his file that we're like I think this is our son um is when his foster family um it was loosely translated from Korean to English but it basically said when he smiled that time stands still oh. um and wow. that's the most perfect description of our son if there ever was one seriously that's really sweet I love those descriptions I've heard some other families who I, I just, I'm like, read me the description because they're so just they're I love how they write them. They're so adorable. For, and so that's, you know, that also kind of contributes to, we didn't really know what to expect, right? Because there were certain things in this file that, we, you know, he was described as being sensitive. I'm like, well, generally that's a good thing when you're talking about like a child yeah. sensitive and gentle, right? right. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, they actually meant more like he gets anxious when he's around oh. new people and places, you know, he cries okay. when he's new, with new people or new places. Um, so some of that, I think, you know, yeah. the file in hindsight, it's like, oh, that's what that means. Sanchez <laughs> was, his big description was that he was manly. And we're like, 
this little nine month old is manly. <laughs> what does that mean? What character does he have that makes him manly? It's just so funny to us. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, so talk to us about um, in the early days, how do you distinguish between adjustment and trauma and regression, like you mentioned, and legitimate needs? special needs? Well, I will first preface this by saying that we are not experts. Um, again, even though we had a background in child development, there were a lot of things that we did not know about being a parent um, and that nothing could have prepared you for actually being a parent to a child who was two and a half and you've never met before or have met for an hour before. Um, so a lot of it, honestly, I would say we're still learning. Um, we're still finding that line even to two years home. Um, that when certain things come up, is that trauma? Is that developmental delay? Is that a sign of something more? Um, and I think one of, again, one of the keys for us besides finding adoption-minded specialists um, is we also, very fortunately, and I don't know if this is the same across the U.S. or even across, like, if we had been matched with a different specialist in the same department, um, but our specialist was very open to us um, just watching and waiting to see to see where his development would go and where his progress would go. Now, at any point, she said if we needed a specific diagnosis, you know, to get him services, that was fine. But as far as actually getting a diagnosis or looking for the reason behind what we were saying or seeing, she preferred to wait a little bit longer. And so I think that there's still there's definitely a lot of question marks that we don't know yet. Um, but I will say that I feel like we underestimated the effect of trauma that first year. Um, you read about it. We went through a ton of education about it. People in the adoption Facebook groups talk about trauma. I don't, don't know that we could have been fully prepared for that until we were living in the trauma or even until we got a little bit more past the trauma um, and were able to look back and say, wow, like when he was not working with his therapist or wasn't able to follow instructions, like that was very likely not an ability thing, but a trust thing because he would do it for us. He would not do it for new people when we first, you know, once we had been home for a couple months. And so I think we definitely underestimated the role of trauma um, and how much that really does just impact learning and progress or can impact learning and progress, especially in those early in those early days. Um, and I think, I think at the end of the day, though, we really approached it the same way, whether it was trauma or whether it was um, special needs. Uh, it was really just um, meeting him where he was and building that felt safety um, and creating routines where he could be successful, whether it was because of trauma-related anxiety, whether it was because of like an ability thing, I'm um, just being willing to meet him where he was um, and set him up and give him the resources to be successful with that until we had more information to kind of see which was which. Um, and so it, they weren't wildly different in our world, but we certainly still have times where we have conversations about, is this trauma? Is this related to the fact that he was adopted? Is this special needs? Or is this because he's four? Um, and there's some level of, you know, kids not necessarily wanting to follow directions at three and four years old. Um, or, you know, whatever, whatever. Or a combination of all of the above. Or all of the above, right. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like more often that's where I land on things. Like, I think this is just a little bit of everything, but it's good to approach it with knowing the knowing the trauma stuff and how you help with that. And then knowing the, the delayed stuff and how you would handle that and, you know, kind of merging that together. Yeah, and I think just, um, you know, obviously coming from a place of starting to know your child and hopefully coming from a place of parents being – having been educated that parenting a child through adoption is different than bio kids, but there was some level too of just learning to trust our gut. Um, that when you feel like your child is a stranger because they're two and a half and you just met, like 
remembering that they are. Um, but then also knowing that even two or three weeks home or two and three months home, there are things about your child that you will know more than even some of their professionals. Like there are things that you understand or begin to understand about your child, um, your specific child, not the whole area of knowledge or expertise, but your specific child. And there were times where we had to back off on therapy um, or change directions for what our goals look like or what we, um, what we expected him to do because we just felt in our guts, like this is what we need to do for this season. Um, we may need to take a two week break from therapy or a two month break from therapy. We may need to push harder in this area or, you know, back off like the bottle thing. That was something that, you know, we had heard over and over, like you're going to mess up their teeth forever. They need to be off the bottle. And we tried it one time about six months home and it just did not feel right in my gut. And it was not a battle that we were going to fight. And so we just let him have it. And so after it was shortly after he turned three years old, um, he, one day he was at my parents' house and he handed his bottle to my mom and picked up his sippy cup and never looked back. Like that was the end of it, but it had, like it was his idea to do it. That was his comfort thing. That was consistently a source of comfort for him. And so, you know, when there were times that certain therapists or certain providers would say, oh, we need to get rid of the bottle. That was just a hard no. Like we're not going to, we're just not, we're not fighting that battle. And so I think part of it was just learning to listen to our son um, and learning to listen to our gut about our little boy. Yeah. That was a huge learning thing for me too. I think before I was a parent, I would just think, well, yeah, you, you know, you trust the doctors and you trust the mm -hmm. professionals who know this. And, and I, you know, I was never the kind of person to say, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and, but then I became a parent to somebody and, um, and yeah, I knew more about that child and they lived with that child and they knew their comforts and, and their strengths and weaknesses. And yeah, there were moments when people said, no, you have to have this blood test done. You're going to have to hold him here and let us take his blood. And I would just say that can wait a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't need to do that today. <laughs> we sound so similar. So I am like very much like a rule follower, right? So I was the same way. Like if they tell me to do this, then I have to do this. And so I like hesitate to say this because um, especially like coming from the medical field, I worked with parents all the time who would like doctor shop or specialist shop or whatever. Um, so it really was not that. Um, but we are on our seventh therapist, whether that's speech, OT, um, physical therapy, because, and to be fair, like the first six were very good at what they did, but they had not worked with a child who was from a place of trauma or from an adoption background or even changing languages. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, they would often do therapy of like, oh, well, we work with kids who are bilingual. Like, that's no problem. Yes, but he's not bilingual. Like, he moved from one language 100% to the other language 100%. Like, it's not the same thing. And so it took a lot. You know, it took probably the first several months, if not the first year, for me to be okay, like, not just following the rules and following exactly what they told us, but finding that courage to like really be able to advocate for our son and find out what he needs. And that's not at all, again, to say that these therapists were wrong. They just didn't have the same background that our son really needed for the place that he was. And then most of the time, if I would say something like, um, you know, they're like, oh, we have to take them in this room to do this test by himself. Like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not comfortable with it or whatever. It, most of the time they're like, oh, okay. And it wasn't like a big conflict. It's just like this, you know, this is our normal protocol we'll do whatever, you know, we'll help you however. It just was a matter of me, yeah, finding that courage to say like, I, that's not going to work for us. <laughs> and that's where finding those adoption sensitive providers or even just, you know, like one of the children's hospitals we go to in Cincinnati, Cincinnati Children's, they are just fabulous with the whole experience and like, you know, just like you said, if you want to be there, that's totally fine. And they'll offer that. And I just remember like, when we found those people who were willing to really put our son first and who acknowledged his trauma, who acknowledged his background, it just gave us more peace too of like, oh, they see us. Yeah. And they don't just think we're like the helicopter parent who is like right there all the time, but they really just, that encouraged us so much. Um, not even just in getting better care for our son, which was huge, but um, also just our 
feelings and, you know, our insecurities about being new parents and kind of navigating all of the newness and unknowns that we had. How did you and Brian come together to work together through this as a team? Was that difficult to to work together? Were there, you know, opposing theories or ideas or? You know, I really feel like it was a learning experience for both at the same time. And I'm really thankful for that. Um, so I would say, first of all, and this, you know, I tell this to families who are considering adoption too. I think one of the most important things all along is that we were very much on the same page. Um, so when we said yes, not just to Gideon the first time, but to Gideon the first four times when they kept coming back with other things. And are you sure you want to move forward? Are you sure you want to move forward? Here's the new information. Like that was, I feel like so key. Like we both were just, yes, like we want this. He is our son, no matter what. And so I think that really carried us into the transition home and even, you know, not the first two years home. Um, And in some ways, even though we had, maybe in some ways more struggles because we hadn't been parents before. And other ways I'm almost thankful for that because we both went into it with very much that TBRI empowered to connect background of looking for the meaning behind the behaviors. Um, and I'm really thankful that we were, we work as a team. Now we don't always do that perfectly. And I think that's where the team aspect really comes in because there are some days one of us is much better at that than others. Or, um, you know, if, our son has been refusing his nap for three hours and I get home from work. And that's probably the time that I will, you know, tap in, (laughs) be the one who's more able to do that and to look for the meaning behind the behaviors. Um, And so, yeah, I think we just came together because we had the shared heart. We agreed on how we wanted to raise him. And in the times that we are not perfect, which is often that we're not perfect at that. um, The other one is there to really cover our weaknesses and to, to jump in and help. Yeah. Um, and then I think just practically we both um, work full time outside of the home. Um, and I travel for work quite frequently. And so even just practically, we have, you know, a shared family calendar and we, like, we just practically have had to mesh up. Okay. Who's doing therapy this week? Who's practicing the therapy outside of the therapy sessions this week. And we just have had to be really practical and willing to be really practical and come together. Um, Cause I think a lot of times in this, in this kind of world of different needs or developmental delays um, some of it, even more so, I think people jump to like the emotional side of, you know, embracing that your life may look a little bit different and that's huge. But I think even just like the mental load of different therapy schedules and school schedules for his therapeutic preschool and drop off schedules, all of that. And so I've been really thankful that we've been able to come together and (laughs) work towards all of those little details in our week that are extra details in our week. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Last question. What is your advice to parents who maybe just got home with their child who has delays or something that they didn't necessarily expect Uh, what's your advice to them? Yeah, so I think I would just encourage families, whether you're an adoptive family and your child does not have developmental delays or you're even a bio parent who is embracing a child with developmental delays, is really just embracing that joy of the both, right? So I'm sitting in that tension and realizing that without without the delays um, or without the differences, then it would be so easy to miss so many of like the miracles happening all the time. Um, So when we were told that our son might not walk and might not talk, that has changed our entire perspective of every single little milestone that he has. So now when he, you know, again, it sounds kind of cliche, but when I see him running across the grass outside, like I literally often find myself like smiling or even just thinking back to that day and just remembering like what a joy it is to celebrate the fact that he's running across our yard, even if he's running away and he's supposed to be coming back inside, like to realize that he's doing things that we never thought he would. Um, And often a lot of the things that we thought would be so hard are also the things that bring so much more beauty to the story or to our days. Um, And it's been amazing for us. And what I would encourage families to is to find those people in your life um, who are willing to also see the joy. 
um, that they bring um, and that are also willing to see that that different does not mean worse um, and that hard does not mean worse um, and to just be willing to kind of help rewrite this narrative um, because there are times that it is lonely, whether it's adoption or special needs. Um, there will often be times where people don't understand your situation. Like this is not the common narrative of society that they've written. And so just finding those people who are willing to embrace that joy, to sit in the tension with you um, and to just really see your child and to see your family um, has made such a huge difference for us and so yeah I think just embracing that that joy that we have how's life now what's Gideon up to what is he like what are his favorite things well since this is still during COVID we're still at home mostly um, he did start back to preschool next week and he is very excited about that mm -hmm. um but he is big into books um, he has, <laughs> he has the most incredible memory, like, and this is, this is a good example of like, is this adoption is like hypervigilance or is this, you know, part of just who he is and how his brain works. But when we first came home within like one or two car trips, he had memorized everything within like 10 minutes of our house. And so if you would make a wrong turn, he would just start screaming. And now like, as he's been home for two years, like he knows pretty much like going an hour and a half to my in-laws house. Um, when we go on vacation within the first two days, he knows exactly where to get to the different landmarks that we're going to. Um, and so he just has a fantastic memory. I knew um, and that's one of things <laughs> is this anxiety from adoption or is this? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he loves to memorize books. So right now he's big into reading and quoting anything like green eggs and ham, Eric Carle, uh, so we hear a lot of books in our house all the time. Um, and then we are trying to get outside as much as possible. But yeah. he is, um, but yeah, and like developmentally, he is uh, starting to talk. So again, he was silent for about the first year and um, started kind of saying odds and ends words um, about a year ago. Um, and now has about 300 words is now really starting to, to put together like communication can be verbal and that a lot of times if you communicate verbally, uh, it, things are much faster and easier <laughs> to yeah. do that. Um, so he is, uh, he's definitely learning and growing and still has the same, same joy that he, we saw, started to see when he came home. And, mm -hmm. But yeah, he's doing great. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, well, thank you, Callie, for being on the show. This was uh, so great. Long time coming. I can't believe I'm just now having you on. Um, is, do you have a blog or anything that you want to point people towards? My Instagram is Callie Troyer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Well, thanks so much for having me.